0: Well, we there's so many
1: out. opportunities here. If you're a little bit entrepreneurial and have a rough idea of what you want to do, they need just about everything here. So this is truly the land of opportunity. I, and I think you mentioned maybe something like Singapore in future. I think it's very, actually, yeah, I'm very bullish on on the direction of the country. And it's it's so exciting and pleasing to be living somewhere where we're on a positive <laughs> trajectory rather than in Australia and the US and Europe where things are just getting worse. Um So it's a great place to be.
0: We are live again here from bitcoin beach and today we have owen from beef back better with us he is going to share where you can get the best beef in el salvador for sure maybe in central america i don't know (laughs) let's let's find out uh, a little bit of his story and how he came to be a beef purveyor here in el salvador so welcome Owen. thanks for having me on and you're not originally from here uh, i'm assuming from your accent
1: uh, no from australia uh, been living here for five months, almost six months now.
0: So you are uh, one, one of the Australian refugees that are trying to escape the uh, nanny state there?
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I came for a visit last year just as soon as they allowed us out of the country because uh, the borders were closed for, I think, for two years.
0: Was it two years that they were yeah, closed? Yeah, I mean,
1: you could get a special exemption if I really tried. I could have got someone to... but. I kind of knuckled down there and actually bought a little farm and and did some beef cattle farming myself during lockdown times in Australia. But then, uh, yeah, uh, as soon as I was allowed out, I came for a visit here and spent four weeks here. And then um, as soon as I got back to Australia, I realised I just didn't feel like I wanted to stay there. So then it was the start of a six-month process of packing everything up, selling everything and, and moving over here.
0: So was it mainly you were, wanted to leave Australia because of what transpired during the COVID lockdowns? Or were you already thinking that it was time to get out? Or were you just kind of restless? Or what was it that kind of made you think that it's time to leave?
1: I was already planning on leaving Australia before the COVID stuff. Um, I've never lived abroad before. And I had some opportunities. That was in Thailand I was going to move to. And right when I was about to move, that's when all of the madness started. So I ended up staying. Um, I'm not sure whether that was the right decision or not, but at the time that seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, so, yeah, I was. I already wanted to get out. I was already um, aware of the opportunities that existed sort of elsewhere and Australia have been getting worse and worse in terms of the nanny state, the cost of living, the rules and regulations, the – yeah, the – All of the sort of woke mentality that was already all happening for a long time, Um, but then in yeah, and then in that couple of years while borders were closed and while I actually had a great couple of years, (laughs) I had one of the best couple of years of my life because I bought a little farm and I moved away from the big towns and cities and um and that was good. However, uh, and then of course El Salvador became um, sort of on my on my radar and. And then, yeah, was seemed like the place to be.
0: Did the announcement of them adopting Bitcoin, is that what put it on your radar? Had you been to El Salvador before or Had thought never about been, it before? Didn't,
1: I'm embarrassed to say I didn't even know where it was. Uh, never been to the Americas before. Traveled a lot, but never to this side of, of, the, of the world. So, um, yeah, I knew about Bitcoin Beach already. And then I heard about the announcement of it being legal tender and i was pretty excited about that and that's when i started looking in detail and watching reading and watching youtube uh channels you know every day for for a long time and was really keen to get here and look around
0: and so you made a trip here initially just for a few weeks or yeah i
1: had three weeks in el zante okay. last year almost a year ago now and uh and one week in the, in san salvador and realized it was fine like uh, the people were lovely and and it was safe and you could get everything you needed. Um, I still wasn't totally sold on I didn't really decide. there wasn't a day when I decided to move here but I that yeah that was sort of in motion and then um, there was definitely this sinking feeling when I arrived back into Australia after that trip. but I was trying to correct for if that was just because I was in holiday mode and having some adventure after two years of no adventure yeah. <laughs> in Australia. Um, and it was not super clear, but um, but now that I'm here, it's I'm really happy.
0: <laughs> when you came back for the second time, was it with the plan to move here, yeah, or was I'd, it everything was okay. sold,
1: everything was done? Yeah, you,
0: you, you burned the boats and uh, pretty
1: much, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm still trying to maintain my. Uh, good standing with with the authorities in australia and so on but uh so that they might let me back in one day should i need to but no i sold the farm and and rehomed the animals and and sold all all of the all of my possessions basically and, okay. and got on a plane just with a couple of suitcases and those suitcases were mostly full of motorcycle gear they weren't even like other stuff it was just because I, <laughs> I i like to ride uh, dirt bikes as well and and that was something that i really wanted to do here because i did a little bit and the terrain here is amazing you can ride up a volcano yeah. like you don't do you can't do that in australia so that was something that i held on to and looked forward to and i've been doing a lot of that here too
0: you'll have to uh ask ask andy where to to go around here andy andy loves to, to ride bikes andy's our our sound guy there in the back that makes this uh thing sound so good so. excellent <laughs> excellent uh so have you been riding here at all yeah or? okay
1: yeah yeah nice. so and that's actually been amazing because that's that's how I meet most of the locals that I meet. Um, otherwise, it might be easy to fall into just an expat yeah. scene. Um, but I ride only with locals. Okay. Um, a lot of them.
0: Do you Have sp- you rid, ridden with Alex at all? That owns yeah. the hotel yeah, over here all the time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice, nice, <laughs> yeah.
1: Nice. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we're good riding buddies. So okay. we ride in the hills through here, and I've ridden all around the country already, and. Um,
0: and, and I know Chimbero loves to ride. Chimbero's riding know. as well. Yeah. yeah, we've
1: ridden together. Okay. It's um, it's hot and it's hard. It's the the, the riding mostly they do here is called hard enduro, and it's really a crazy sport. Really, yeah. it's very rough terrain and it's very hot. <laughs> you should, I think you're better off walking. But but anyway, we we enjoy it. So and yeah, I end up I've met dozens of guys, lo, local guys, and that's really great when we go away for a whole day and they're all speaking Spanish and that helps me learn and um, and it's great to get there. Their aspect on things, their point of view on things, on where the country's going, yeah. it's super interesting because they're mostly they're wealthy enough to own good motorcycles and to have time to do recreation. So which
0: which here would be upper middle class to the wealthy? I mean, that's exactly
1: the, yeah. exactly. So um, so they're all running businesses, uh, hotels or restaurants or construction or or um, coffee or whatever, and it's very interesting to talk to them about doing business here and how things have changed. I'm always asking people about because it's hard to. Until you hear, it's very hard to understand what things are actually like and and to imagine what it was like before Bukele and uh, yeah, it's but so getting some first hand accounts I, I do whenever I can.
0: i am curious as to I'm sure you know there's different opinions amongst them, but what are some things that have kind of stood out to you? Because a lot of times the people in the, the wealthier class are the ones that are a little less uh, excited about Bukele. So just kind of curious in general if you found that or you think the business owners are, are realizing the benefits that have come into the economy or what's the general sense?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a mix. It is a mix. Um, um, and, you, and I agree. It is the case that generally it's the more wealthy, I would say even more wealthy than most of the guys I'm talking about that are really quite anti-Bikelli and quite anti-Bitcoin. And A lot
0: of them had pretty comfortable little fiefdoms before exactly. this. I think... For them, any change is bad. They see things being shaken up. I think a lot of them will realize in the long run they actually benefit hugely from it. But right now, they're just afraid things are going to change and they're going to lose whatever monopolies they have or sweet. I think you're exactly
1: right. Yeah, the status quo has been good for them, and they're nervous about change because of that, and that's understandable. Um, And understanding how how Bitcoin might help is is difficult. That doesn't happen overnight. So, so there are there there are those people, but. Most of the – I mean, yeah, there's so many amazing stories. Um, some of the towns we ride to on the motorcycles you couldn't go to three years ago. And some of the – like this is firsthand account from local guys, so, so I trust what they're telling me. Um, some of the rural areas we ride to further up in the hills up near Honduras and so on you you could not go there you might get shot that's that's what they say you might get shot if you go there even villages just up here i don't know if you're aware of that like not yeah. too far from chill to yeah. like you just couldn't go there three years ago if you went from there you might get shot
0: no where we bought our property i wouldn't have bought it three years ago the, the the place we bought up in the hills with the coffee farm it a few years ago it was kind of a no-go zone
1: yeah so all of them agree that it's fantastic that we can all go, we, everyone can go anywhere in the country now freely and safely. Um, some of them, are, and I also respect this uh, point of view, some of them are wary of Bekele and wary of how popular he is because they have a very sensible distrust of government and their right to distrust government, yeah. including the Bekele government, in my opinion. Um, so it's a very sensible opinion. They're, some of them are worried about how the younger generation really worship Bekele. And that's, that's a fair point of view. Um, some of them are skeptical that, and think that he will just one day end up in jail like like previous presidents have, for the same thing for embezzling money. They they don't they don't trust that he's going to be any different, and that's a um, that's a fair enough point of view. But generally, yeah, I mean the difference. I heard from a, a friend who's a, a, a coffee, in the coffee business, and he has several coffee farm suppliers, and he told me the other day that every 15 days the, the a boy would come from the gangs and collect the money and. And it was just the way of life. It was just how they lived. But also at, at the processing facility, they were on the border of two different gang areas, and sometimes there would be gunfights in front of the processing facility. So it was very disruptive for their business, and it was an additional cost to the business. And so yeah, they they're very happy um, with with it. They they don't maybe understand the benefit, the potential benefits of Bitcoin, um, but broadly among those guys, there's support. And among the taxi drivers and the, biz, the people that you meet, that yes, he's, they're very happy with the fact that they can get out safely and have a good time. And everyone's doing it; everyone's partying here now. It's yeah. a great, ad, a great vibe here at the moment. And entrepreneurs are starting businesses, and uh, you can get you can walk around freely at night. And so everyone's having a good time, and and it makes sense that he's got such such a high level of support.
0: Well, there's a sense of excitement, and, and that anything's possible. Which was definitely not the case, you know, even a couple of years ago. So it's been pretty remarkable. And I've been here for almost 20 years. And to see that change right. recently has been sometimes I'm still like, is this really for real? Or So it's, yeah, it's been really remarkable. Yeah. The You said they're still trying to figure out Bitcoin or they're not sure of the benefits of it or what. Do you feel like they have any interest or is it kind of like, eh, that's good for you? Oh, but it's just It
1: just varies. You can't generalize no. this every um, end of the spectrum. So yeah. generally uh, I would say most people have some interest and are quite open to learning about it. Um, um, some are just like, oh, no, just not interested. Just, no, it's too hard. I don't like – and they're the, – <laughs> I don't mean to be critical. They're, they're often probably the people who are still standing in queue at the bank to pay their bills, it's like you don't actually have to do that anymore in El Salvador. You can use this Chivo wallet and you can just actually pay your bills like online now Um, because Chivo wallet has banking integration with every bank here, as an example. Um, So there's just that resistance to new things, which is understandable. It's difficult. Um, Generally fairly open to it, um, but not really understanding how beneficial it might be so that's something i often say i often say it might be very important in the future like we're not sure but it might actually be very important in the future <laughs> for el salvador and they're sort of oh okay they might yeah. not have thought of that yeah interesting I, i'm really interested in how in in how they started using the dollar here i had assumed that that the colones must have gone into hyperinflation but apparently they didn't i don't know if you know how the history of that i, I don't only know a little bit but apparently it didn't ever go into hyperinflation and it was a it was a decision by the government to go to the US dollar to prevent future money printing. I
0: think it, there had been, historically, there had been some times of hyperinflation, but that was not in the timeframe where they actually decided to dollarize. But part of it was they had a peg to the dollar, I think for a at least a decade prior to the dollarization, huh. that, that, that was how they prevented the hyperinflation from happening again. They had a, a, an official peg to the dollar. And I think the decision to go from being pegged to actually just using the dollar was they were still paying a, a differential in the markets to, to borrow money because there was still this currency risk that maybe they could decide to devalue their currency in the future. And so I think it was thought of, Hey, this is a way for us to access cheaper money, you know, cheaper interest rates. And I think that's why the the wealthy benefited much more from the dollarization where kind of the poor average people, there was a sense that it actually made things in their life more expensive. And I think part of that from what I heard was Mm -hmm. a lot of businesses just rounded up when they made that conversion. And so if you're just buying things once a week and they round your bill from, you know, $100 to 101 it's not that big of a deal. But for the people that are buying their food daily, they were seeing this round up from, you know, $0.15 cents to a quarter. And so for them, it felt like it was a huge, you know, yeah, inflationary.
1: Maybe. I'd heard that as well, yeah. that, it, that there was an increase in costs uh, when they went to the dollar and that there's – and some people worry about an increase in costs happening now because of going to Bitcoin – um, which I don't think has any basis and I actually hadn't thought of that it could have, could be as simple as the rounding issue and the, deno- the denominations because um, that sort of happens in um, in Costa Rica where they're using two currencies always uh, the local one and and the US dollar and and you can pay with both at the same time or you can pay with US dollars and get local change and always they're just rounding yeah to the most convenient. Denomination, which is and
0: probably in their favor most of the time, always too. in their
1: favor. <laughs> yes, yeah. like it's about 2,000 colones in Costa Rica. They're called colonies? I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah, um, where yeah, so maybe that's all it was. Interesting. Uh, I, you mentioned the the cost of borrowing, I, I don't understand how it works. So interest rates, borrowing rates here are quite high. I don't understand why the local I, banks don't just,
0: I think it was even more before because you have. El Salvador is considered higher risk in the U.S. So you're mm. going to pay in general a higher rate. But there was also before a sense that they could default on the currency. And so mm. when they would go to the market and try to sell in the local currency, they baked this in. Okay, you're going to have to pay us extra because we don't know if you're going to devalue in the future. Yep. And so for them, it was like, hey, we're pegged to the dollar anyways. Why not just, you know, completely convert? So,
1: Yep. Yeah, I don't understand the mechanics of why some people say that uh, El Salvador has been restricted in its in its money creation um, because of being on using the US dollar. But <clears throat> I don't understand if there's the degree of regulatory oversight or, or cooperation between the international banks and the local banks because the local banks that are US dollar denominated they can still just create credit like any, any euro dollar bank, right? So I, anyway, I don't yeah. understand. I,
0: they can still create credit, but the government itself can't just print money. I think that's <laughs> what people are referring to where, you know, you see other places like mm. Argentina, the government just prints extra money to pay their bills. And so I think it's more of the the money can't be created on the government. Yeah. Of the things. So maybe
1: some of those. Which I think well, is a
0: positive, but yeah. some people think, no, that's, Holding it back, it's better for the government to inject more money into the system. They don't realize what that leads to. So
1: Yeah, maybe it meant that there was a bit more of a uh, benefit for the for the wealthier families for the older money, where they were they were the bank like some yeah. of those guys are the bankers um, and friends with the bankers, and maybe they were able to benefit I- more from that. Issue, you know, un- unrestrained credit to one another, but but the government wasn't and maybe that was good. I yeah. don't know. It's interesting to think about and to about Bitcoin succeeding, and I think this is a great place to be. Partly because it already has the US dollar, and now it also has Bitcoin. For me, it's a great place to be because it's got the strongest crappy fiat currency and and Bitcoin. Yeah. But then another argument is that you may be better off to be in a country that has uh, a weak currency that they print uh, at will when hyper-Bitcoinization happens. Because things will get more cheaply, more quickly, but it's... Yeah, possible,
0: I think maybe either. in the short term, but I think longer term, you want to be in a place where the currency is not collapsing. Yeah,
1: a smooth transition could happen here because yeah. the infrastructure is in place to, for everyone to just gradually start using Bitcoin. And so, yeah, I think it's the place to be.
0: I definitely want to mm. focus on, uh, on the beef aspect, but before we get to that... Just a lot of people that that watch the show or are listening, they're thinking about moving to El Salvador. That's uh, one of their motivations for for checking in with us every week. What has been your positive experiences? What have been your negative experiences? What would you recommend to people who are thinking about that? Hey, maybe this is something you haven't considered or this is a reason you need to do it now. Just kind of your general sense of expat life here.
1: Yeah, sure. So firstly, it's very safe, like we all keep saying, but everyone still has a a perception that it's unsafe. Um, I haven't had one issue. I've not even had an argument. I've never felt unsafe. Uh, When I was first living in the city, I wouldn't go out on my own at at night and I laugh at that now. It is just, it's completely safe here. Um, So that's, uh, even for, for petty theft and stuff there's not even any of that that i've seen I, I, yeah
0: i think there's less than in places like costa rica oh way less yeah. costa
1: rica it's every day and in, and i was told by a local because i was there recently for Costa rica uh, uh well he was an expat but he lived there for 17 years and he said that he has things stolen all the time and the police do nothing and i'm just thinking wow that's not a good recipe for um and they sort of they don't like expats as much there as well so they're happy to try to i got ripped off and we had something stolen from the airbnb and there are signs up everywhere don't leave anything in your car because cars get broken into every day and none of that happens here it's so safe in terms of um, theft there's basically no theft even with the motorcycles we leave them out These ten thousand dollar motorcycles you just leave them out overnight at the hotel and nobody takes them it's amazing to me because in australia they'd be stolen straight away <laughs> so um it's very safe um the people are incredibly friendly. They love foreigners. They haven't had many foreigners visiting for for decades. So uh, they're interested in, in us and they want to help. So that's really nice. Um, so I'd recommend coming and having a look first. I know plenty of people who just came without having a look first and they're still here. So that, Which,
0: that seems crazy to me. I'm more of a planner. But yeah, they're like, no, we were certain that's where we were going to wind up. And so...
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, plenty that didn't do it. Didn't do a practice run. Like I did that practice run, and was here for a month, and and realized I could get everything I needed. I could get around easily, and it was perfectly safe. And it was going to be difficult. Like being living abroad is difficult, and living in a you know, it was really basically a war torn country. It's very much uh, in ways you know, it's 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 a third world country that even that's old terminology but but at the same time in the city there's all the conveniences you need and ubers are cheap and there are great restaurants and there are great shopping malls and there's all of that as well so i would say come over here and stay in san salvador and also get down for a visit to el zonte and um uh yeah just rent and even stay for a month or two if you can and just rent an airbnb and try to understand what it's like living here and and uh, there, there are some challenges. Um, what what
0: would you say was like the biggest negative or the biggest challenge that, that you've faced?
1: Well, the language barrier for me would have to, yeah, is the biggest thing. Yeah, But um, in the tourist towns, and down in El Zonte now, you can get away with speaking English. Um, but at least learn a little bit of Spanish before you come will we'll make things a lot easier for you. Um, but I haven't had too many challenges, really. It's been it hasn't been difficult yeah
0: And how would you find the costs in living in El Salvador versus Australia? I think a lot of people are expected to be cheaper than it is but how would you how is it compared to, to life in El Sa- or in Australia? Yeah,
1: it's a lot cheaper than Australia but it's not as cheap as somewhere like Thailand. So a lot of Australians visit Thailand or Bali and uh, it's nowhere near as cheap as Thailand, especially rent. Um, rent and electricity are expensive. Uh, still much cheaper than Australia. I most things are still like half or less the price, but some things are more expensive, like the motorcycles Motorcycle. that I like. Unfortunately, um, so you can live cheaply, but if you want to have relative comfort, you're still going to be paying a thousand dollars US a month for a rental if you want to be in in comfort that you're familiar with. I mean, you can rent a place for two hundred dollars a month, yeah. but it's it's going to be pretty basic. Um, so, but other costs are so much lower than in Australia, like um, like registering a car and anything to do with the government is like one-tenth the price. Uh, government fees are very yeah. low, very low. Um, and really
0: no, pro- I mean, I, I don't think you own anything yet, but there's really no property taxes in the country either, which is a huge expense for most people that are homeowners or property owners yeah
1: i didn't ever get hit with property tax in australia because i didn't own enough i guess but i do hear complaints about it from australians who maybe have more than one property or more than a value or it's in a company or something um but yeah i mean australia the cost of living in australia is very high it's very bad um you can't go out the door without without you know just getting hit with all these all these fees mostly government fees um so it's a lot cheaper here, but it's nowhere near as cheap as Thailand. So keep that in mind. Um, you can still spend $30 for a meal. That's US dollars if you want to. Uh, but you can also get papooses for $2. Yeah. So you, similar to, to other developing countries, you can live cheaply. But if you want to live comfortably, it's um, you're, you're still going to be um, needing to earn a lot more than the average local if you want to have nice accommodations and so on. Um, in Costa Rica recently, for instance, it's so much more expensive there. Uh, we had Compared to here? Compared to here, yeah. Okay. Costa Rica is much more expensive, but Guatemala is cheaper. So um, Costa Rica, we had two coffees and a large bottle of soda water it was $18. It was like being in LA or something. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. <laughs> so it's not like that here, uh, but it's also not super cheap like Thailand.
0: Yeah. I don't want to get too far off in the weeds, mm. but uh, I'm curious, how was, uh, was it called Nostarica? Was that what the conference? Yeah, Rica. So
1: I had wanted to check out, I haven't traveled much in, in Latin, America, Latin America at all, and I heard a lot about Bitcoin Jungle in mm-hmm. Costa Rica, down in Uvita, and uh, what some of the guys from there came to, well, yeah, most of the guys came to uh, Adopting Bitcoin yeah, here yeah, in November, so yeah, yeah. I met, so them, I met first some of them, yeah, year. and heard what they were doing, and it sounded great, so I was keen to have an excuse to go and check out Bitcoin Jungle, and then happened to be, I'm really glad. So it was only a couple of months that Nostarica started popping, or Noster started popping up, and everyone on Twitter, Bitcoin Twitter was sort of starting to play with Noster. And
0: um, I'm still not on it yet. It's on. It's on my list, but I'm like, so, you so just I really want to be on another platform. So it's. Uh, yeah, I still use Twitter more. Okay, but
1: um, I found if you just have one buddy and you both decide that you're going to sign up and you just apply yourself for half an hour. help each other out you work out how to do it just getting your getting your n pub and and uh choosing which uh app or or which which website uh to use um and then uh yeah just working out how it works but um nostarica was great and it was yeah so it was an an excuse to just to check out bitcoin jungle while there's going to be lots of bitcoiners there so decided to go along it's a short flight uh, from here and stayed for how, a week. How big of a
0: conference was it?
1: There were, Apparently, there were 300 tickets sold. I think there were only about 200 or 250 people okay. there. But were was, they mostly Bitcoiners? Or? Yeah. Okay. And it was all free, all paid for by Jack Dorsey, apparently. Okay. Even the food, which was excellent. Nice. This was, and we, it started at 7 a.m. yoga, and then it was very chilled. I've never been to a conference like it. It was it was really fun. It was really nice. And, yeah, lots of Bitcoiners, uh, not many shitcoiners. Um, Jack Dorsey was there and he spoke about, um, he se- he really seemed to genuinely feel bad about how, how Twitter turned out in terms of the censorship and how excited it was about Nostra because it's sort of inherently censorship resistant. So it's notes and other stuff transmitted by relays. Um, maybe you list, some of the listeners have heard about Mastodon. It has some improvements over Mastodon because uh, you can't block whole instances. It's not sort of separate instances it's just run a relay and you can access and and you can access everyone Uh, you can still block individual people if you want but you can't instances can't block each other and so it has a lot of parallels with bitcoin in its censorship resistance and it's uh decentralization um and it's still clunky very clunky it's really early days but it looks really promising um it's no algo so it's it's just chronological so the well, the application of NOSTA at the moment is mostly as a social media app, alternative to Twitter, but really it could be used for anything. Yeah. NOSTA could be the whole internet, a whole, an entire decentralized, every protocol could be built on NOSTA, so it's pretty exciting.
0: Mm. Were there very many of the Bitcoiners from El Salvador that went down? There or? were a
1: good contingent of, okay. of Salvadorians, yeah. Yeah, maybe... A dozen or so. Okay. And um, and yeah, of course. The one of the things they've implemented in Nosta early on is that you can send Bitcoin by Lightning to anyone. So you can instead of liking a a tweet, a uh, whatever a note. Instead of liking a note, you can send some some satoshis, and they they receive them directly. So
0: that's quite cool. Yeah, I hear we're talking about zapping zapping their satoshis around. So yeah. I'm like all right, I gotta see. I gotta sit down and just get on it and at least uh, understand it. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, it's worth a look. Yeah.
0: Um, well, let's talk about beef. Uh, it's funny that you're in this business because when I moved to El Salvador, that was one of my biggest complaints about the country is the beef was horrible. I mean, you could get decent beef, but it was, you know, like $22 a pound for a, you know, a decent steak at Price Mart imported from the U S and, you know, a lot of the cuts they cut things differently here so i would go and buy something i thought oh this looks like a good steak and i would throw it on the the grill and grill it and then i would try to cut it and it would literally like could not cut it it Mm. was like (laughs) just rubber so we just really stopped eating beef for for quite a while because it was just horrible or incredibly expensive Uh, more recently there seems to be a lot of Decent beef coming in, or at least from my perspective, decent coming in from Nicaragua um, at at decent prices. Um, So I'm curious as to what you saw when you came in, why you decided to get into the beef business and what you guys are doing differently.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I had a similar experience. So I eat mostly steak and eggs. That's mostly my diet. Um, When I came over last year in May, I was staying with some guys that had just been at I don't know if you've heard of Paul Saladino. He's one of these carnivore doctors. He's in Costa Rica. He has this animal-based,
0: familiar, animal-based
1: gathering. And okay. my friends had been there at a retreat, and I said, "You're going to meet a lot of Bitcoiners there." And sure enough, there were a bunch of Bitcoiners at the at the carnival retreat. <clears throat> and so some of them came back, and we had a week together here. And um, so we were buying a lot of what we thought was sort of the the premium beef here, the premium beef at the supermarket. Uh, and they look like good cuts, like good good juicy ribeyes and so on. But and the a couple of the guys I was with actually were only eating raw beef. So they're full-on carnivores, wow. these guys. So they sit down and just eat a raw steak. And actually it's not that bad. Like, raw beef is quite nice. But um I usually cook mine a little bit. Um and they were starting to notice that it tastes funny, it was making it feel sick, feel sick. And um I then tried some without putting any salt on and it's really salty. I'm like, oh this is in it's like ham. It's in brine. This is obviously in brine. And I didn't understand what like I've never come across that in Australia that they would put any additives in in, in a steak. Like it's just usually a packaged yeah. steak, right? So, and yeah, a lot of that beef. So I started looking into it and just trying to find a good steak during that visit and didn't succeed. And so one of the things I wanted to do when I came back was maybe uh, if I, at least find some good steaks for myself and maybe then also make a business out of it because I thought there was a, Uh, a potential opportunity there because as you say it's all imported but almost all of the beef some of the beef in the supermarket is local um but almost all of it's imported mostly from nicaragua a lot of it's from feedlots or um, CAFOs concentrated animal feeding operations Um, so grain fed and lots of antibiotics and, and growth promoting hormones and all of those goodies um and sometimes, yeah, the, the stuff from the US is more like $18, $19 a pound. Um, and, yeah, the, the local butchering, I'm exactly the same. I couldn't tell what the cuts were. and I actually got pretty good at finding a reasonable steak at the supermarket. There'd usually be one that might be edible on the, in those white plastic trays. There might be one that was edible, but always they're too fresh. They're not aged at all. Yeah. They're really tough, really yeah. tough. Um, But the my biggest complaint was it was actually making me feel sick. And I eventually since I was back here, worked out what they're putting in the stuff. And there's a long list of additives in this brine, including adding 10% of the, uh, to the weight in water. There's sugar and salt and flavors and flavor enhancers and xanthan gum and carrageenan gum and sodium phosphates and sodium citrate and uh, sometimes sodium benzoate and none of this stuff you want to eat. It's
0: and were all, are all the meat importers or producers...
1: Almost all of it okay. is in brine. And you'll notice now that I've mentioned it to you, if you when you buy one of those premium steaks, with it, don't put any salt on and have a taste. Uh, you'll well, start to Well, I remember
0: noticing that with the tomahawks. I was like.
1: Yeah, those melt-in-your-mouth tomahawks. This, the reason they melt in your yeah, mouth is because they're soaked in a chemical. It that seemed that soft, like that it was a little bit off.
0: I mean, it still tasted good, but it was like something. They're good eating. Like yeah. They're,
1: they're, they're very tent- Like Yeah, some of those tomahawks are just melt in your mouth. They're enormous and they melt in your mouth. They're like. This that's incredibly tender. How do yeah. they do that? And they do that by adding these chemicals that soften the meat. And they those chemicals do the same thing to your guts. So like you don't want to eat that stuff. So, so learning that made me fairly determined to try to find some good steaks. Um, and I didn't know if it would be would be possible or not. And so since I moved here, I started looking around. Just started asking anybody I could, including when I was on my motorcycle rides. And if I'd see some nice cattle, I would ask the local farmer with my terrible Spanish as much as I could about how he raises the cattle and. Um, visited a few farms, visited a few processing facilities. We found an abattoir and found a, a sort of a but- – there's not really even – the the supply chain just doesn't exist here. There's, yeah. there's either um, a skinny animal from the hills taken to the unlicensed abattoir, killed and butchered. The, and then
0: the a, what? You keep saying ab- abattoir. Um, What's an abattoir? Processing
1: facility. Okay. Ma- matadero. Okay. Okay. Um, where they kill and go down to carcass okay, before okay. a butcher. Okay. Yeah, it's Australian terminology maybe. Um, they call it here rastro. Okay. Uh, but in Spanish also matadero. Um, and most of the those facilities here are unlicensed by the government. There are a few government-licensed ones, but that the, the government doesn't mind, though. They let them operate because people need to eat, which is an example of their practical approach at the moment, which is good. But it's um, found a few facilities... Um, yeah, just to finish that story. So the, there are sort of two supply chains here for beef. Uh, one is just unrefrigerated and sold at the local little market and cut up that day and sold without refrigeration, fresh. Okay. And that's how a lot of the locals buy And it's beef. usually
0: sold the same day that it's cut up.
1: Yeah, the next few days. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not, that's not good. I don't want to eat that meat, yeah. personally. And the other supply chain is soaked in brine, hormone Growth promotants, antibiotics, GMO feeds, and then and then soaked in brine. Frozen and thawed many times on its way across two borders from, from Nicaragua or from Honduras or from the United States. And then the box is opened and it's unpacked and it's put on display in the butcher shops here, which are just meat shops that they, yeah. they don't do any butchering. They're the two supply chains. And so I'm fitting right in the middle there and just, it's just a miracle, the farm that I found. And it was a, a local Bitcoiner who reached out to me and said, hey, my father is a cattle farmer, but he's, fr- he's frustrated. He's not getting good prices and maybe you should talk. And then his father put me in touch with another guy who him and his brothers are still cattle farming. They're surrounded by the industrialised sugar cane production that you see a lot of here, um, but they are still cattle farming and they are doing it as best, as good as I've seen anyone raise cattle in the world and um, i was saying to you before i've i've worked in organic agriculture for 20 years i've visited hundreds of farms hundreds of organic farms so and this farm that i found is better than most of them it's amazing they're doing all the good things in terms of rotational grazing and And how sp- many how many head uh they're only running like a thousand okay but that's they still
0: that's a decent size herd yeah okay because i had read and i was reading recently a book on like the history of Central America. And at one time, El Salvador was like very well known for their cattle farms, yeah. uh, which I was, I was reading this. And I was kind of shocked. I was like, how could this be? The beef there is, is horrible. Yeah. But I guess going back, I don't know, it was 30, 40 years ago, there was all over the country, these huge farms. Um, surprising because it's such a densely populated country. And so I, I was surprised to to read that. But, I don't know if you've looked into the history of that yeah, I've Yeah,
1: I've, I've heard the same. And, yeah, it looks like from the history that I've looked at in the photos and so on, it looked like the 70s You must have been an amazing time, like a really good time. Um, and, yeah, that was before the agrarian reform. So the Duarte government agrarian reform in the 1980s where they expropriated all the land and, and divided it up in, and put a limit on the size of land you could have. And that just, from my point of view, I, I think that's what basically decimated Yeah agriculture here, especially cattle, because you need a little bit more land to get the economy economy of scale. So these brothers kept cattle farming and got very efficient and started using methods like rotational grazing, which or you might call it cell grazing or um, uh, time controlled grazing, or there are many regenerative, you maybe you call it regenerative farming, but basically running as few mobs as possible and moving them regularly, uh, which has all these benefits in terms of productivity and in terms of animal health allows the grass to grow back after a rest period. It breaks the disease cycle and all of the good organic farmers and regenerative farmers in the world are are, are using some form of this uh, uh, rotational grazing. These guys are doing that and they're not doing it because it feels good or to impress anybody. They're doing it because it's more profitable. They can produce more animals. Um, And the country is terrific, see? Yeah, it doesn't jump out at you as maybe being good cattle country because of the population density and the geography, but actually there's a lot of good flatland and there's a lot of good hill country. So there's good breed, dryland breeding areas and then there's good irrigated from groundwater. There's heaps of groundwater in some of these spots. Most most of where you see all the sugarcane, there's yeah. gr- groundwater that just comes out of the ground and they irrigate with it. Um, so there's good finishing country as well. It's very fertile soil, young volcanic, fertile soil, well-drained as well. So um, it's very possible here and managed to f- just – I'm so fortunate to have found this excellent farm.
0: And do they just – do they solely graze them? Or are they growing any hay or what is the – They're able
1: to irrigate. So okay. even during this very – so in El Salvador, there's a very dry season yeah. that we're in right now, and it's really dry. So um, any – Cattle operations that are that don't have irrigation water have to grow fodder crops and conserve hay for what they call the summer, for the dry, three or four months that are yeah. dry. But these guys are fortunate in that they have basically abundant and good quality groundwater, so they irrigate through the dry season. So they're on grass, grass, 100% grass-fed, no, no grain supplementation required.
0: So... Talk to me about that because I, I know grass-fed beef is, you know, considered the the premium thing. But I, growing up, we we raised cattle and you would feed them out at the end. You you know, you put them in a smaller pen. You're feeding them grain, and that's what always produced the the good marbling, the good fat content through that. And so, when I hear grass-fed, I I picture these skinny cows wandering the hills and. That I wouldn't want to eat it. So, explain to me where I'm wrong or how, how that.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think a little bit of grain feeding is probably not a problem. But uh, and it's and it is correct. It's a way to get the marbling, and the tenderness of the beef can be correlated with the level of fat. Uh, but you can also have very lean, very tender, grass fed beef like like mine.
0: But you won't uh, have the the fat content in it. It, it might be tender, but it won't. Yeah, it'll be okay. more
1: generally more lean in, in the muscle. Yeah. You can still hopefully get a good fat cover, but you won't get that marbling. But animals that... Are, so perhaps it was just taken to too much of an extreme in these CAFOs, in, in feedlots, um, where they're given ad-lib grains. And the cow arguably is not very well adapted to eating grain. It's much more well adapted to eating grass. And when it eats a lot of grain, it actually gets sick. And the marbling that you're seeing is an obese animal, and most of the fat starts to occur um, around the liver, and they get fatty liver disease, and they get diabetes, <laughs> and that's why you get a nice fatty juicy steak. And if you kept feeding an animal like that, it won't live very long. Yeah, a, a, a cow that food it won't live very long. And they've taken it so far, and just on grain only for. And yeah, it was most of my life. It's been advertised at restaurants as a positive thing as grade grain fed or yeah. grain finished and um, and the best steak on the menu would be the 120 days grain fed but I think of that as 120 days of being in a pen with no grass up to their knees in, in cow crap and being fed low quality possibly GMO also fed since then also you've had the growth promotants and the synthetic urea added to the feed and the constant antibiotics and the constant antibiotics is not even I mean they don't always do that but the antibiotic use in these sort of factory farms, if we can use that terminology, is for cattle is not even to, to ward off disease. It's because it changes the gut bacteria and makes them get even fatter. Okay. <laughs> it makes them get more fat. And I don't like the taste of that meat. I That, that tastes. I, maybe it's partly psychological, um, but some of the most expensive steaks that I've had, and I think like M9, there's a grading system for how much fat and it's like, oh, this is... Three hundred days on grain only, and I think in the poor animal, you know, and um, and it's mostly fat and and it's very tender, but I actually, it actually makes me feel sick, and I don't know if it's psychological, but uh, a lot of others say the same thing. So I think a little bit of grain feeding in the paddock to finish an animal is fine, but and maybe it just went overboard. yeah
0: yeah yeah. Well, we always like to take things to the extreme. Yeah. If a little bit's good; <laughs> then, then more is uh, yeah. better. Yeah, But you can
1: finish finish animals on grass only, Okay, um, but they're not going to have the marbling. uh, But it can still have good fat cover and it certainly can be tender, especially if you're doing the aging. So one thing that we're doing here is uh, keeping the carcass, so after it's sorted in quarters, keeping the carcass in the cool room for seven days or maybe a little more or a little less depending on how it's aging. Um, Technically, it's not... Aging, but I call it aging. It's it's in the cool room for between one and five degrees for, for seven days. And that is the magic ingredient uh, for us, for the, for the quality. The meat starts to break down a little bit, uh, dries out, it becomes more tender, and the flavor improves.
0: So that's done before it's cut? It's before the okay. butchering, yeah. Okay. It's
1: after the slaughter and before the butcher, yeah. Okay. So we collect all the organs on the first day, and they get packed and frozen and so on. But the, the meat stays in the cool room, not frozen, just above just above freezing uh, for up to seven days and that's when uh, the meat gets better. You lose a bit of weight, so you lose a bit of money that way, but the quality is better. I'll, coming back to Costa Rica, there was a great butcher shop in uh, Bitcoin Jungle and there's a lot of grass-fed beef in Costa Rica and this butcher shop accepted Bitcoin, so I was really excited and he was a nice guy. He ended up giving me a tour of, of the facility and we were talking about all our different um, methods and stuff but he because he has so much throughput he doesn't have space to age it yeah. at all so it's cut fresh and i could taste it in the pro- it was tough unfortunately it was still great but it was a bit yeah, chewy yeah
0: yeah well i think you know people that don't really know anything about beef they would think oh the fresher the better but yeah if well, you, I, yeah if you don't, don't know have know that much aging
1: of certainly in el salvador i think i'm the only person doing that everyone here wants it fresh like you say whether that's Because they're having the trouble, it costs to keep the cool room running for a week and to have that space, like to to use that space, it slows down the supply chain. And I think that's why some of these chemical brines evolved, started being used, is because, oh, we can tenderize this meat and we can make it taste better straight away. We don't need to run the, the cool room for a week anymore and have all that extra space. I think that's probably why they started doing that. Locally, I don't know why. Well, my farm, my supplier, he ages for seven days as well, but he's the only. One that I've met locally that usually they cut it fresh and they eat this terrible well, I think terrible too insects.
0: there's there's a, you know concern of it being kept at the right temperature. So it's it, for them as if the fresher the better. Like if it hasn't been sitting around as long, there's less chance that something could have gone wrong during that time. Because yeah. obviously if you're aging at the wrong temperature, then that's where you get it can go very wrong. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah.
1: I guess that maybe that's it, and it just hasn't the new supermarket supply chain, which is refrigerated hasn't they haven't adapted to that yet they're still thinking that it's needs to be killed and and not hang out without refrigeration for too long because it's going to go bad
0: yeah so how does the what you're attempting to do i'm I'm assuming it's more expensive than these other processes what how does it compare on a dollar per pound basis versus the stuff that's imported and brined and
1: um, so the prices in El Salvador from what I've found are the cheapest meat is the ground the ground beef which can be three or four dollars a pound and the most expensive is like you say around twenty dollars a pound USDA um, USDA sort of certified um, quite fatty. Um, we are coming in between in the middle there uh, at around ten dollars a pound for mixed cuts. so you get a mixed pack. Just to keep it simple for now, because I'm kind of just addressing the problems as they arise. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some ground so, beef. So, would that be and mostly ground beef? And half, half. Half, half. Yeah. Okay. Half sort of premium cut, premium, a couple of premium steaks, a T-bone and a ribeye, and then maybe some ribs, and then maybe some diced meat for a stew, or, or a bit of Puyasa or something, a roast, and then uh, three or four pounds of ground. But it's really good ground beef. Like, it's really good for hamburgers. It's basically still premium beef. It's just some of the tougher cuts. Yeah. Um, so we're just grinding them and and making... And so, yeah, coming in at $10. So we're kind of... It's expensive, but I think it's about what I need to charge to make it work. Yeah. Uh, And we'll see.
0: And so what... Who do you view as your market? Do you think it's mostly going to be expats? Do you think there's a big local market or what? what's your kind of plan? So far, it's...
1: Well, whoever wants to buy from me, so far, it's expats and bitcoiners, yeah, Yeah. because we've all had the same frustration that you mentioned. It's just like the beef here. The seafood's great and you can get good good chicken and pork, and um, but you just basically can't get good beef. You yeah. can get what kind of looks good and tastes good at first and it's tender and it melts in your mouth, but it makes you feel a bit sick and, and it's from Nicaragua. Uh, so, yeah, people who are concerned about that. And I only accept Bitcoin too, so that's uh, filtering for, yeah. for the expats. <laughs> um, mostly expats so far, but we've got a few locals now on on the customer list as well, which okay. is exciting. And we're just talking to a distributor who are, who are very much a local, business um a local family business who who might want to start distributing the product as well so that'll open up because i'd love to i mean yeah i really want i really want to see the local food the the community uh resilience improve for whatever the next crisis might be um and connect the farmer with the growers yeah so i i don't want it to just be an expat thing i definitely want to and and there are, I have met quite a few locals who are interested in quality local food. Still only it's still a minority. Like most locals will still sort of say why are you doing that? But right. why are you exporting or are you importing? And I know it's local food for local people. It sort of seems like a strange concept to most of them. But some some are already uh, health conscious and wanting to buy local local dairy products and local meat products. So they're excited to get on the customer list. And even those people, they haven't the cost hasn't been a problem to them. Okay. Yeah
0: hmm and uh, andy can you throw up i think i think we have a picture of uh was this is your first kill uh this is the second second kill <clears throat> okay this one was much bigger
1: actually dressed down to 516 pounds so that's the weight as so it. so
0: what would that be live weight
1: uh i don't know we haven't got scales so but you, you lose a lot from i don't know whether it might. Is have. it about
0: half or is it i'm i'm trying to remember when i was a kid <clears> i raised steers and they would usually come in about 1,000 pounds after we would feed them out at the end. I don't know. if
1: Yeah, you can lose up to half. Yeah, it's probably 800 to 1,000 pound okay. animal. It was only like a two-year-old heifer.
0: And and what breed?
1: Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the genetics here are um, mixed. It's mostly Brahman, uh, so the Indian style of cattle. uh uh-huh. um, and Bra- Brahmin Dairy Cross mostly. And and most people... Brahmin what? Brahman huh? Dairy Cross. So dairy. different, different okay. dairy breeds okay. like Hol- Holstein and Brown Swiss. Okay. Um, but this one looked at, have a little bit more English breed like Angus in it to me, but I'm not an expert. I'm not a butcher and I'm not a genetics expert. <clears throat> but, um, and most, m- many people you speak to in Australia or the United States will say, oh, Brahmin beef's terrible. Um, and I don't... I think where that misconception has come from is a selection bias. I think studies that have been done on Brahman cattle – so Brahman is a boss indicus. It's a subspecies. It's the same species, but it's a subspecies, they call it. And it's the animals with the big, droopy ears, and the bulls sometimes have a hump, so those-looking cattle. And
0: you usually see them in more warmer climates. Yeah, the tropical cattle. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So they're much better adapted to tropical or or arid uh, conditions because they have a thick skin and they can store some fat in that lump and – um, and they've got the big ears to shoo the flies away and they're, they're much better adapted to these conditions. They can kind of live without water for days. They're amazing animals. We don't do that, but they're amazing animals. Um, there is a misconception, I'll, I'll say, that they produce poor quality beef and I think that's come from selection bias because it, um, most of those animals are in very poor areas and they're hungry animals um, and they haven't been well looked after, so they. When you kill one of those animals and you try the beef, yeah, it's terrible because every 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 dry season they're almost starving, and you yeah. see some of those cattle around; they're very skinny, you know, and that's why they're walking them through town. They're trying to find some feed. Um, so, I don't think that it's the genetics that causes that quality issue. And so far, the the evidence is in the product; it's really good meat. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be happy with it. So the yeah, the Brahmin mostly. Um, there's probably opportunities to improve the genetics, but it doesn't seem to be the weakest link at the moment. Okay. Um, having some what I call in, the English, so uh, Bostorus, that's probably not accurate to say English, but I say Indian English cattle, and they've got the smaller ears, uh, more compact, uh, thinner skins, generally better for beef in terms of production. So Angus and… Uh, Does it
0: carry and, a little bit more fat?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, better fat cover as well, Um t- Known to be more tender, but my meat's very tender. So they're crossbreeds. Um, so they're, they're very well adapted here. Um, so I'm not really too worried about the genetics. Many people will say, oh, that meat's going to be terrible. Oh, you need to get this breed or you need to get this breed. or you need I just don't see it. It's um, the much more important to raise the animal well and have it well fed and well looked after and, uh, and you'll still get a good product.
0: So are you having them cut in what, I mean, I don't know if they cut meat differently in Australia than they do <laughs> in the U S but I know for sure in El Salvador, they, they have different cuts. So are you having cuts that would be more familiar to expats or, uh, yeah, local a nice, cuts a or nice what's the-
1: there, but yeah, you see, I'm not a butcher. So, um, the butchering was a real challenge and I'm probably still need help with, with the butchering although it'll be okay. Like, this is a good T-bone, as you can see. There's not yeah. heaps there's not heaps of fat cover, but it's there's a little bit of yeah, marbling, yeah, actually, yeah, in yeah. that. Yeah. Um, They're beautiful, beautiful T-bones. No problem with them at all. Um, and butchering the T-bones was easy. Um, butchering the ribeyes was easy. But some of the other cuts, the terminology for the cuts here, I think it's almost lost. Um, Piasso can mean – I don't mean to be critical. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but Piasso can kind of mean a lot of things yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. And Lomo, Lomo de res can mean – you know any sort of cut, so we had trouble, um, and that's partly why I'm doing half of the animal as ground beef because a lot of there's probably some good leg steaks and shoulder steaks that I could that I could select, but the the butcher that I'm using, local guy, is excellent, um, but he, uh, he doesn't know how to do those cuts, and I don't know either, so we're we're doing just some more. We're, wherever we're in doubt, we're just grinding it and making great burger patty type type beef. Like you can see, it's a pretty. Fatty, yeah, uh, ground no, beef, like it has chunky good. style fatty. It's beautiful, um, but so we're getting the t-bones and we're getting the ribeyes. Next time we're going to do the ribeyes on the bone because they're, they're more familiar with doing it that way. Yeah, and then getting the short ribs and uh, and some of the sirloin uh, cuts were identifying correctly and and uh, and wrapping separately and uh, yeah, it's coming out pretty well. But if there's any uh, skilled butchers and and someone who can translate the nomenclature of, of the different cuts, that would be really handy if they want to reach out.
0: Well, I a few years ago, I was at a, a trade show uh, in the food business in the U.S. and part of the trade show, they brought in a side of beef into the kitchen and and butchered it in front of us and they kind of went through and they're like, okay, you could either make this cut out of this right. by cutting it here or you can cut it here and get this cut. But I was looking <coughs> at it, it's not... You think like, oh, it's, it's just obvious. obvious. Yeah. You just cut this, but no. <laughs> you're looking at, it, you're like, wait, how would you know to yeah. cut that line here and on that seam and to make it that? There so- was one
1: really funny moment during the last butchering where the butcher he had a piece of the animal, sort of part of the ribs, um, part of the lower front ribs, I think it was, and and he was sitting it on the bandsaw, but he he turned it over and he turned it round and he turned it over and he turned it round again. And he turned it over and turned it around about 20 times. And I was thinking <laughs> he couldn't work out how to get that cut out. He worked it out in the end. But, yeah, it was a bit unfamiliar for him. Yeah. And that was a challenge. But it came out all right. So,
0: I mean, it's an art. You'd think that mm-hmm. it'd be just like, oh, yeah, these are cuts. But, it, yeah. I'm we're, watching YouTube
1: yeah. at the moment. On, there's everything you need to know about butcherings on YouTube, fortunately. So I'm going to apply myself uh, to, to learning a few of those cuts. And, and we are looking out for, for a skilled butcher as well. But we're, it's good enough for now.
0: Well, hopefully you can get some uh, tri tips out of there. I don't know. We managed. Yeah, we got the tri tip. Yeah, so
1: and uh, I'd have to check my notes, but I think another name for that is it bottom sirloin. Another name. I think it it?
0: depends how you cut it. I think like the tri tip is. I think it came out of actually California. That specific cut. And it has Um, three
1: almost three parts to it. You can see in the steak that there's three parts or well it's a big like like a
0: big roast almost um usually the and it has like a big fat covering on the one side usually yeah um it's it's one of my favorite meats to, to grill in in the u.s but i have never seen them here so
1: we got something that we were calling tri-tip. Okay. It was a really good steak. It was out of the Surloin area. We cross-checked it because even the, the, the names are different, even in England and the US, and then in Australia again, the names are different. Yeah. We, I've never heard of tri-tip from Australia. So, but but yeah, someone I think asked for e- that.
0: Even people on the East Coast in the US right. haven't really heard of it, but on yeah. the West Coast, it's a big thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would love to to check that out. Uh, I have to get on your get on your list on here so list, yep. so what uh what pound increments do you sell to people we're just and how's doing mixed, that work? mixed pack at the moment seven pound mixed pack. seven pack seven yeah. pound okay yeah to, okay.
1: just to keep it simple until i don't know where it's going to go i basically just keep saying yes to everyone on things and see how things evolve yeah um but well except for if people are asking for specific cuts at the moment i'm having to say no and we're just doing these mixed cuts at one price and uh cuz you know you don't get very many T-bones and ribeyes yeah. you get a lot of other stuff so you get a lot of
0: hamburger i remember that yeah. from uh, raising cattle yeah. yeah yeah so you'd yeah. have we we we'd butcher like one a year for ourselves and you tend to eat all the steaks and then you got hamburger for the yeah <laughs> for the next uh, 3 months yeah so, exactly
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool that you used to do that yeah we did it a little bit as when i grew up as well yeah it's good to have that um, connection with where the food comes from and it's incredible how much food you get from one yeah. beast. Like so the yes, yeah, like a thousand meals maybe out of one one animal. So and the 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 killing method here is is really good. So so that's good.
0: Just a pop to the head, or
1: uh, it's a it's a method that um, they actually sever the the spinal column. Okay. Very carefully with a very sharp implement. Um, so it's not what is considered best practice these days in Europe or Australia or the US but it was considered best practice not that long ago and in I think in Europe it's still it's it was apparent, some, some people from Spain came here and taught them how to do it okay and I've seen I'm there for every kill and it seems really good I mean we, we used to just use a rifle in the paddock at my farm yeah and that it feels like maybe that's a bit more. Well, there are pros and cons because the downside of that is that their that their friends all see it, you know. So you're out in the paddock, and yeah, it's yeah, instant. Yeah. It's really instant. Like you can't imagine that the animal's been through any pain, but the other animals are pretty confused yeah. about what's going yeah. on. So the so the benefit of doing it this way is that the other animals don't see it or hear it or anything. Um, and yeah, it's it's like that. So. So, so what's,
0: what's your goal as far as to – I know you're just figuring this out as you go <laughs> along, but um, I don't know if you have any objectives of, hey, we want to do 10 this year. or Oh, no, your... we'll get into a
1: weekly schedule pretty quick, okay. I think. Yeah, the aim is to get into a weekly schedule, provided the demands there. I think yeah. it will be. Um, and then beyond that, um, well, I want to help locally and – Improve the food situation and the food resilience here, and so I've been talking to Texas Slim about this stuff and the El- the idea of the El Salvador beef initiative because he's gaining a bit of momentum and he was just in Australia and did nine events, Bitcoin meetups, and
0: I, I'm not I'm not familiar with Texas Slim. Texas Slim, where okay. have you been, Mike? Uh, apparently, not where I need to be.
1: No, he's a, a Twitter. Character. Uh, he's a Bitcoiner, and okay. he's a he's a genuine beef producer. He's very experienced. He's from Texas, um, and he is seems very driven at the moment to spread the word of shake your rancher's hand. So meet your local farmer and and get the best food on the planet, which which is beef, in my opinion, best for the environment, best for your health. It's it's great stuff. Um, so he is traveling the world and talking about connecting consumers with their local beef producers, which is something they've been interested in for a long time. And in Australia, uh, there are some great farmers selling direct now. It's much harder in Australia in terms of trying to do it legally. Um, It's very expensive to get the necessary approvals and so on. But So I'd love to see – well, there's just no local agriculture here. It's crazy. Um, A lot of the fruit and veg is imported from Guatemala and a lot of the meat comes from Nicaragua or Honduras or the United States. Uh, I would like to see local food resilience – and I'm also pretty concerned about the health of the locals. The, all of these tiendas serve just junk food, completely wall to wall junk yeah. food, sugary drinks.
0: Ton of obesity and diabetes. And yeah.
1: So I think beef is a really important part of maybe trying to address some of those problems. It's not the only solution. I don't know what the solution yeah. is. It's hard to.
0: Yeah, it's hard because beef is is never going to be cheap. And so for the the wages here, it's always going to be a struggle for it to be, you know, a huge part of their diet. So, I mean, unless the economy Mm. continues to improve and we see this, you know, become the next Singapore, then, then that's a different situation. Yeah. I mean, I think
1: that's pretty likely all of the ingredients are here, but um, I guess I haven't put too much thought into that. I need to think that through some more, but I'd like to see more people doing what I'm doing as well. And just because there are still some good beef producers around uh, and there are other brief producers who are frustrated and getting paid not very much by the supermarket and um, and gonna go, and there and there's this huge incentive for them to go, to grow sugarcane with maximum pesticide and maximum synthetic fertilizer because they don't have to do anything they get, just get a paid a commission by the sugar company yeah um, So I'd love for them to see that the beef guys are making the money and start doing regenerative or organic or rotational grazing methods and producing beef because that's better for the land and it's better for everyone's health here. It's better, I think it'll be better for the economy as well. Um, But I don't want to come in and try to tell them how to do things, but there's already some very good cattle farmers here, so spreading the word on the methods. I'd like to see all that. I, I can't do all of that. Talk, that's why I'm talking to Texas Slim and that's why any of the listeners who are interested in helping, I mean, there are people who say, I want to buy land in El Salvador and and it's, there's going to be a lot of challenges with that. Um, one, one thing I was very clear on not wanting to do when I came here was was buying land and growing cattle. Like, I was not going to do that myself having just done it for a couple of years in yeah. Australia. There'd be so many challenges to do that here, but I wanted to try to find good local farmer and it's a miracle that I, that I found these guys. Um, I'd like to find more.
0: I'm just curious, is there is there land at a higher elevation or is it low land No, or it's what? in Sonsonate region? Okay. Yeah. okay.
1: yeah, a lot of the a lot of the younger cattle come from the hill country, from the villages, and they drive around to the village and they pay cash for the six month-old animals okay. and they bring them down and raise them for another year on the good country, which is not very elevated there, no.
0: In the in the local market, not what you're doing, but the when they're just selling these things to market, what what type of price per pound are they getting? You know, on the...
1: I don't really know. I only know supermarket and butcher shop prices. Yeah. So the local market, that non-refrigerated stuff at the local market, that's probably pretty cheap. That's probably two bucks a pound. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know.
0: The the ranchers that you're working with, are they excited about this? Do they yeah, see very. this as Yeah, man? this is amazing. Okay.
1: <laughs> such cool guys. They're really funny. I'm keeping the, I'm keeping the supplier... Pr- uh, private for now um, yes but one day i'd love to do farm tours and so on once once we've got a better uh once we've really got a solid relationship and i'm not worried about having the business stolen from from me um they are really excited they want to work with me they want to make it big that's sort of something they wanted to do anyway but didn't um sort of maybe know how or had the time they want to focus on producing but they wanted to sell direct to customers and market it as local and market it as grass fed so there was a lot of alignment there. And um, they're also interested in Bitcoin. So Really? That's really cool. Yeah.
0: Prior to meeting you or uh, just through this process? A little bit of interest, okay. yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, they're, they're generally supportive of the current
0: government. Are you able to pay them in Bitcoin yet? We're getting there. Okay.
1: We're getting there, and I'm confident that they will. But I, I'm trying to be very honest about, you know, the how much the price can go up and down yeah. and all that stuff and because it would be terrible if they aped in and then, yeah, 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 and yeah. then yeah. they'd blame it yeah, on me yeah. so i'm making i'm being very clear about but yeah we've already done a few bitcoin transactions uh i tipped them initially and and now they're also going to accept part payment in bitcoin and uh that of course also then will require me to show them how to use cold storage so we'll take that little by little but they're keen and excited i show them a cold card i talked about the Chivo, they're already using Chivo, and the benefits of other wallets like Bitcoin Beach Wallet, now called Blink, and I, the benefits I, of what's their
0: experience been like using Chivo? Have they connected it to their bank account? Yep, yeah, he's got okay. it
1: connected. Yeah, yeah, it seems to have gotten better. I can't use it because I don't have a Dewey. But yeah, uh, I, I'm not. You have to have a passport to to use Chivo, and is it you can use it if you have a
0: company? A Company can get Chivo. A company can get Chivo, and Salvadorans can get. Chivo, and it's, I I like the integration with with the banking system. It makes things really good. I think Chivo is under the same pressure and stresses from the U.S. government and these other things because we've had a a lady that works with us, she had her wallet basically frozen, shut down, and they were concerned about transactions that, that I had sent her from a Wasabi wallet and so the fact that it came from a wasabi wallet they flagged it on their end and you know i sat in a meeting with them like wow privacy is is a right it's important for bitcoiners if you're going to flag transactions that come from any wallet that makes privacy or coinjoin you know part integrated part of that procedure then you're going to defeat what's trying to be accomplished here and so you know it's i think we as bitcoiners need to keep putting pressure on Chivo, on the government, on these people, because they're getting pressure from the other Mm. direction saying, Mm. hey, you need to sanction these type of transactions. You need to. And and we weren't even talking about huge amounts of money. I mean, it was I was like, really, you guys are like worried about, you know, these trifling sums of money going through this wallet. But they're so risk adverse and so like afraid of being flagged or accused of money, you know, aiding money laundering. And, And the sad thing is, though, if. They allow that pressure to um, direct how this plays out, they're just going to recreate the broken banking system. Mm. And so I think it's important for Bitcoiners to speak up and say, hey, <laughs> this is not acceptable. It has to work. It can't be, we can't have to worry about getting our wallet unfrozen. And so, yeah, yeah
1: well, I have noticed a few locals express concern about large. Transaction and even when I say large, even just over a thousand dollars, they generally say, "Well, the bank will ask a lot of questions." They're very aware that the banks will be very difficult if you're trying to do large transactions here. A lot of transactions are still done in cash, even large ones like yeah. like twenty thousand, thirty thousand. They still use cash here, which is great. I want to hang on to cash, but um, I, I'm surprised to hear that. I, I didn't know that that they were even monitoring incoming utxos to that level that's yeah i was surprised surprising. because yeah.
0: they were asking about specific and i'm like are you concerned because it came from wasabi they're like yeah i mean they didn't want to tell me no. but i basically i'm like and
1: were the funds unfrozen if you don't want me uh, asking, eventually yeah.
0: but now we're running into the same issue where where she can use her Chiba wallet but she can't the bank won't allow her to transact back and forth between dollars and and Bitcoin. And That's so, a big problem. Yeah.
1: I haven't heard of any cases like that. And I agree with whatever we can do to try to head that off. It, it's hard because we don't generally have access to Chivo. So yeah. we, don't, we don't know these problems are happening. Um,
0: That's so what I told the, the guys from Chivo. I'm like, I'm actually glad this happened because I don't use Chivo and I might not realize it. Yep. But this is a problem. You guys need to fix this. You can't be censoring you know, anybody who... Well, yeah, who, and it's not
1: just a technical problem because Chivo's had its problems yeah. too. It's not a technical problem. It's actually No, this, uh, this was a
0: design. They're, a- <laughs> they're trying to do this. They, <laughs> they think they're doing their job by doing this, but they're just creating the same friction and the same problems that right. have held the economy back in El right. Salvador. So yep. that was my pushback. Like, really? In the U.S., they would never freeze or or even be worried about this size of transaction. So you're letting the US government push on you a level of scrutiny that they don't put on their own businesses in the US, like that's crazy. So hopefully, and I understand, they don't wanna get shut down, they don't wanna be sanctioned, they don't wanna <coughs> lose access to SWIFT, but they need to push back, so.
1: Yeah, I don't understand how it works in terms of the regulatory burden and or overreach from the US or from elsewhere, maybe it was just an overzealous um, sort of a KYC company, you know, one of the, yeah that was engaged to, and they are trying to prove that that, that they were uh, doing their job, and that was one of their one of. Well, their things I know was.
0: that they are under the microscope. Like that was one of the things from the get go that the IMF, the US government, yeah. has said, "Hey, this is going to be used by money launderers right. and drug dealers and yeah. this and that," and so. They, they are looking to find something like that, and so and I understand now. they they want to stay on their toes, but you can't let them torpedo the the value of this open protocol by you know forcing you to put these crazy you know restrictions on how money moves around So
1: totally agree yeah I Chivo seems to have improved in functionality. I've heard good good things about how it's getting better and when people if there, if something does go wrong, you usually get your money back. You might have to spend some time on a phone to a customer service. Um, the banking connections, from what I've so I've had, I've a little bit of involvement in it, not directly obviously because I can't have Chivo. Maybe once I get my company structure and I'll, I'll start using Chivo because of those bank connections. They're excellent. Any any bank, I think it's all through one the the semi government bank uh, Hipotecario yeah. here allow you to do instant transfers with a very low fee between all of the different banks. But if they're also flagging. Things willy-nilly then yeah that's just gonna make it unusable um so so hopefully the right person is listening
0: yeah (laughs) hopefully it's just growing pains and they'll figure these things out but that's what i kept stressing them don't recreate the same broken system um because then that defeats the purpose you're gonna go to basically unbanking everybody again
1: yeah i mean i'm i'm a bit conflicted about Chivo because ultimately having a government wallet doesn't align well with the the whole idea of Bitcoin either. But f- having the banking connections would be good. Yeah, is good and and makes things easier for people locally because it's very common for people to still queue up at a bank for sometimes for hours yeah. to, just to pay bills and so. Um, so the systems that they've built here actually allow you to to not do that. Um, but yeah, generally the idea of a government Bitcoin, wallet doesn't make much sense to me either, so I, I have this. My image is that some at some point Chivo fails. And that's going to be the good, a good thing. I'm not sure um, how that'll play out. Um, if the government wallet is too good, then everyone will put their Bitcoin in the government wallet instead of self-custodying. Yeah. And then that can be a fragile situation too. So some level of dysfunction with the government wallet <laughs> may urge people to use at least a non-government one or even then take the step to self-custody. So I don't know. It's, yeah. it's a com- complex issue
0: yeah no there's a lot especially in the bitcoin space there's a lot of different opinions on it but um but i have seen just on the practical level that it's it helps to get people using and accepting yeah. bitcoin just the ease of being able to pay their bills directly from that account or to move it to dollars when they need to or to, to move it back to bitcoin when they want to yeah. and so um you know I'm i'm hoping in in the ideal world i think we'd have a well-functioning chivo wallet but it wouldn't have an overwhelming amount of the the market yep. there would be people that would still hold stuff in cold storage maybe they use that yep. for some of their daily spending but they're using you know bitcoin beach wallet or which is blink now blink, but they just yeah. switched it um, or you know some of the other you know moon wallet or the other great wallets uh, yep. that are out there
1: yeah um, yeah I, I agree with that that's that's probably a good yeah. path that hopefully it'll play out that way um, that reminds me of one of the, in, in Bitcoin Jungle in Costa Rica, They, uh, the guys there are helping the vendors. There are a lot of vendors accepting Bitcoin and they're using a wallet that's called Bitcoin Jungle and it's an exact copy. It's the same code yeah, yeah. as Bitcoin Beach Wallet from Galloway. But one thing that looks different in the app is the payment, uh, the receiving QR code. It's a BTC Pay server QR code that pops up because they run their own BTC Pay server. And once the vendors start having a certain amount too much, too much money in in their Bitcoin account in their in their hosted wallet or whatever you want to call it. Uh, they go to that vendor with a cold card, and they teach the vendor how to do self custody with a cold card. Which
0: so that's great. That's and pretty that's, cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah. Big respect to the Bitcoin Jungle guys for for how they're rolling that out. That's really cool.
0: How how easy was it to live on Bitcoin while you were there? I, I haven't made it down there yet, so I'm very curious as to how easy it is to spend Bitcoin?
1: Um, in Uvita, it was pretty good. So Butcher and one of the supermarkets and some of the cafes, but not as good as here. Um, certainly nothing to do with government or renting cars yeah. or anything like that. Could could you pay with Bitcoin? But uh, a lot of vendors in Uvita, but not as good as here. Almost all my expenses now I pay in Bitcoin here every day. My rent. I was trying to work. It's only my gas, the gas bottles that I have to pay cash for, and and the drinking water, um, everything else. My rent, my electricity, my mobile phone. What about fuel? Um, yeah, the I actually pay cash for fuel, only because their point of sale devices don't work well, and the new place haven't got Bitcoin point of sale yet. Okay. But the, most I haven't found su-
0: any gas stations that...
1: Oh, the Super 7s do, but it's an old Athena point of sale okay. device and it's not worth trying. Yeah. It's uh, on-chain and you run into RBF for problems. So uh, normally for gas, uh, for the car, I'm, I'm paying cash yeah. as well. But for my rent and electricity and mobile phone and internet... Um, and the, the supermarket down in San Blas, the new supermarket there, all of the vendors in the little strip mall, uh, except Bitcoin. Oh really? Yeah. And that, that and new that new the new one, yeah. The really? spot. Yeah. Everything except the pharmacy. But okay. all the others. So the the butcher shop, <laughs> the meat shop, and uh, Was and there somebody
0: be... that went in there and onboarded everything or was no, it actually happened?
1: There were different some of them are with Athena and some were with Strike and have switched to Athena and some are using Chivo. So okay. no, they just all did it. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, I really want one of the gas stations to, a few of them say, oh, yeah, we take Bitcoin and you try to pay, but it's really, it's, it's Chivo through some integrated banking app. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin, but it ties into yeah, the, the Chivo app. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's not Bitcoin, but in their mind, they, they're accepting Bitcoin. So
1: yeah, there's a Bitcoin logo on the on the on the brochure from yeah. the bank that they deal with. Yeah, and, see, and it doesn't. It's a different QR yeah. code. It's not even a Bitcoin one. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll keep hassling them at the new. And there's another there's another new service station opening very soon. So we'll we'll start hassling them there as well.
0: And your electric bill, you're able to pay that with Bitcoin it's
1: through my real estate agent. Okay. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs>
0: Bitrefill, you could for a long uh, time with Bitrefill. Oh. And then they had some issue or whatever, uh, and they I see they that forced that... them to pull it off. So oh, okay. I don't know if that's been resolved or. I,
1: I checked which bit refill, uh My my electricity provider wasn't on Bitrefill, yeah. but two of the others. But are.
0: The, the Del Sur, which is probably yours, that, that's ours here. That yeah. it used to be, you could uh, pay okay. with it, yeah. and now it's not on there anymore. Yeah, so. I'm
1: doing it with the help okay. of my okay. with my real okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, are you thinking you're going to stay in the area that you're at there on the coast, or? Well, you... no, it's a bit
1: hot to yeah. be honest, and I don't surf, so um, I, I motorcycle. So um, I'm looking around. Uh, El Salvador has many different microclimates, as you know. Um, so you can go from uh, today. I had a look at just at Comasagua, which is only less than an hour's drive um but you go a full thousand meters of elevation um and up above the thousand meter line it's it a lot cooler especially yeah. at night it's a much for me it's a much more pleasant climate
0: the, the coffee farm we bought mm. part of it is at 1500 meters mm. and it, you can be from el zante in 40 minutes yeah. so it's it's pretty crazy yeah, and your that, ears hurt when you yeah, get down yeah. and, and it's cold up there you, yeah if,
1: you've got to remember to bring a jacket and then you can go even further you can get above 2000 meters so, and you've got pine forests and stuff like that. So, there are a lot of options here. Um, I'm looking at the different different towns on the Ruta de Alice Flores, like Acahutla, uh, no, sorry, like uh, Huayua and Apaneca and, and Ataco. Uh-huh. Also, I really like Sushi Toto, but it's still pretty hot, it's pretty warm. in Yeah, Sushi Toto, it's yeah. only five, six hundred meters. So, um, not sure. But if you get even a little bit of elevation here and you get the sea breeze, if you combine those two, then it's more comfortable. I mean, if even, you love the even, heat, then Even it's fine.
0: San Salvador is, oh, is perfect nice climate. weather. I mean, perfect. a couple months a year, it may be a little hot and muggy, but in general, it's very pleasant. San so.
1: Salvador is a really good climate. Yeah. yeah, it's like 20 degrees Celsius at night and thirty low 30s in the day. And if you're on the edge of a hill and you get the breeze, it's perfect. Yeah. You don't need to use the air conditioner at all. Here, it's... Um, Yeah, it can be 25 to 35, kind of, and 25 at night is still pretty warm, so I'm using the air conditioner, which, yeah, so I'm not sure where I want to be, long answer to your question, sorry, but um, it's very nice here, um, but it gets even hotter, That's one of my concerns about Bitcoin City is it's hot down there. It is hot there, (laughs) that's what I tell people, I'm like... But maybe up the volcano you could live on the edge uh, of town. It's still
0: going to be warm, I mean, but... You know, they build in very, you know, look at Dubai or some of these other places yep. that they build these cities. But you're going to be living in an air-conditioned tower there for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
0: Or Unless you are right up on the volcano. That'll probably be the premium maybe uh, this a good breeze, real estate there.
1: Like, uh, like, like in San Salvador, maybe you get that breeze yeah. um, on the edge of the volcano that, that keeps you cool. Not sure. Yeah. yeah, but it's hot down that way, down La Union, San Miguel Way. Like th- thirty-eight degrees is not uncommon.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the hotter time of the year. But it's but it's and it's muggy too. I mean, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it's beautiful down there. I love that mm-hmm. part of the country. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you have to be accustomed to to warm weather.
1: So. I'm surprised there are there are Bitcoin. I was worried about living where I live now in San Blas that there might not be very many Bitcoiners around. Um, I thought the the centers would be El Zonte and San Salvador, but um, we're everywhere, it seems. Maybe not the towns in the hills so much, but there are heaps of Bitcoiners yeah. up, up my way as well, and, and further down the coast that way too. So, but maybe you have to blaze a trail a little bit. And, and once, if if I was to set up up in Ataco or Apineca, um, maybe some more. I think Bitcoiners it keeps
0: spreading time. out. Um, mm-hmm. The the rents and the prices of things in El Zante have have gone up quite a bit, and so yeah, I think you can get a lot more house and send the the San Blas area and some of the other areas closer to La Libertad. Um, So I think you're seeing people kind of stretch out. out. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there just aren't that many houses in El Zonte. Yeah, there's still a lot of vacant blocks, but uh, yeah. So the rent in El Zonte can be high. Yeah, Uh, you can pay yeah two thousand a month for something small here, whereas you can pay half that only twenty minutes away. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, so I and I think that's a good thing. I think we're seeing you're seeing Mm. bitcoiners kind of spread out throughout. The, I think it started mostly at the coast because, you know, a lot of this started here in El Zante, but now people are finding out there's beautiful mountain areas and hill areas and places where the weather's better and Well, so.
1: there are places with nicer beaches than Zonte. Yeah. yeah Zonte's not even necessarily the nicest beach. There there are beautiful beaches and cliffs and and uh uh, and hills hill areas and yeah there's some pretty beautiful landscape it's so changeable through the season too like now it's dry yeah so dry but then uh, in a few months um, it's going to be lush and green all this this hillside again so look, look we, forward to
0: that we have a property on the other end of the country in a place called punta Mongo and mm. we we bought it one year during the dry season and i had to go back to the u.s run my business and came back during the wet season and i was like this isn't our property. This is, it looks <laughs> where <am> so <laughs> different. Even yeah. the road, the dirt road that's going in, but it had like trees and stuff growing up just in that yeah. short time. And I, I was like, no yeah, way, this is it. This, this time it. of
1: year, you can actually see through the, there's less foliage and you can see yeah. through into the villages and stuff like that. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But that all thickens back up pretty, pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So for people that are listening first, where can they find out about uh, getting on your uh, list for this, uh, Grass-fed beef. What's the is there a waiting list right now, or how we have does a that waiting list? Yeah,
1: we've got a customer list, and we let people know when there is meat available, and then it's first in, first served. Okay. Um, so we'll be sending out another message um, probably on Monday.
0: So they just contact you. Easiest way to on find me on Twitter. Twitter, yeah, okay. So beef back better. Okay.
1: Beef back better on Twitter. Just uh, DM me, and then I'll reply and get your details, and we'll we'll send out the message. We're delivering between El Zonte and well, El Zonte and San Salvador, but we're also going down to Costa del Sol actually. So uh, we're we're delivering for now, and uh, yeah, ask me anything, and and give the meat a try, and I'm interested to hear feedback. We've got some. We're going to cater. Provide the beef for some events coming up too. So there's oh, going really? to be some, I, I won't mention, I'm not sure if they've announced yet, so I won't mention the names, but look out for the beef at some upcoming Bitcoin events in the next uh, month or so and uh, and maybe go along there and try it out as well. Well, let us know.
0: We'll, we'll push it out on Twitter when it's, uh, when it's public. We'll um, do for sure. I'll we'll have to make sure I make it to at least one of them to, to try it out. Where else can people follow you? Is Twitter just the best place? Twitter is the main uh, thing for okay. now, yeah. I'm okay. also
1: Beefback Better on Noster. Okay. Uh, when I figure out how to use you... <laughs> it, I'll have to, uh, have to try to find you. <laughs> yeah, I'll
0: have to figure it out a little bit more too, yeah. Um, any other initiatives or things you want people to know about or any other cool projects that you think are kind of burgeoning that, that people might not have heard of? But well, we there's so many off.
1: opportunities here. If you're a little bit entrepreneurial and have a rough idea of what you want to do, they need just about everything here. So this is truly the land of opportunity. I, and I think you mentioned maybe something like Singapore in future. I think it's very, actually, yeah, I'm very bullish on, on the direction of the country. And it's it's so exciting and pleasing to be living somewhere where we're on a positive <laughs> trajectory rather than in Australia and the US and Europe where things are just getting worse. Um so it's a great place to be. Um, I'd like to do more with the the health stuff, the healthy tender idea. I don't know how to do that. So if anyone has ideas about that, uh, reach out. And I don't personally want to buy land and start farming cattle now, but if there are people interested in that, then pl- please reach out because uh, – I could help make that happen now if if someone wanted to invest. I think I know enough now to and I know enough people, more importantly, know enough local people who know how to do it that we could find some good cattle country um, and and get get some good beef production going on here.
0: Awesome. Well, I would love Do you know to, anyone? <laughs> I, I would love we'll talk later. I, I would love to uh see the the beef market here in improve. I mean, I think that pers- personally selfishly, I would love to see that but obviously just for the, the country to become more food secure and not be one of these places where you just have export crops and then you bring in, you know, the subpar, uh, imports from other places. Exactly.
1: So, yeah, me too. Um,
0: I think seeing people like you come in with a different take on it, you know, teaming up with, uh, you know, some of the great local teams and taking it in a different direction. I think we're going to just see, lots of exciting things like that happening here in El Salvador. So that's why I'm so bullish here on El Salvador is it's like you said, there's just this palatable energy here. These people from all over the world that are motivated, that are energetic, that have a positive view of the future. And you have within the local community, just this real sense of destiny that, okay, this is El Salvador's time. And so I think bringing those components together, I think we're going to see just a ton of exciting things. Yeah, so.
1: And yeah. And uh the the recent tax law announcement that McKellie made is a really good sign for not not specifically for agriculture but for him uh, actually delivering on some of the stuff he's been hinting at for a while and for the potential for the future here and the attitude with it's still bureaucratic dealing with the government agencies is still bureaucratic but the attitude is fantastic it's
0: they want to say yes
1: that's yes, right other places they want to they, they want to say no, no. they want to pass the buck or yeah. whatever but no here they'll take you to the they'll they'll show you what you need to do and they'll help you get it done and it'll cost very little and everyone wants to help and the locals are so friendly the the attitude of the locals is just fantastic yeah. so hopefully we can we can keep that going and and life can continue to improve here
0: definitely well we will have to uh, have you back on in a few months here to, to hear uh, how how your business is is growing and what other sure. opportunities you see, but um, make sure people reach out to Owen and he will deliver you your uh, better beef.
1: All right. Thank you. Thanks for having
0: me. Great to talk.